Welcome to the Real Estate Survival Guide, the show that teaches realtors how to create a thriving real estate business. Welcome to today's episode of the Real Estate Survival Guide podcast. So excited to have you guys with me and excited for today's interview. Today's guest is JB Bullock and so excited to connect with him. So JB and me connected a few months ago about possibly doing some investing there in Florida. And, you know, brief bio of JB, he's from New Orleans, uh, raised in several states across the country, went to college on a football scholarship, went on to pursue poker and played professionally for over a decade before finding his true calling in real estate. He and his wife, Julie, moved from Las Vegas to Orlando to double down and focus only on short-term rentals. And I'm so excited to get into short-term rental stuff with him today. But his strong ability in negotiations and building relationships has led his company, Blue Gems, to 42 units in just two years. He also hosts a local Orlando Meetup, a short-term rental podcast, and recently launched a coaching program to help new investors go from zero to one door. So, JB, thanks so much for what you're doing, and welcome to the Real Estate Survival Guide. Man, thanks so much. Uh, absolute pleasure to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's just jump into it. I would love to hear. I mean, there's so much to get into with the short-term rental stuff going on, and you know, changes that happen in in you know all over the place. But kind of tell us first, like, what made you kind of shift uh, after a love for football and then poker to say, I I really want to do and and love real estate. I want to go into this. Yeah, man, that that uh, was a, a simple decision for me, right? So like, even you know, rewinding all the way back to middle school. I realized that I wanted to, you know, provide generation generational wealth for my family, right? Everybody has that dream. Um, and when I looked around, all of the real estate people, they were crushing it. They were doing really well. And, um, you know, there was that saying out there that uh, real estate has made the most millionaires to ever exist, right? So mm-hmm. um, I knew at some capacity, capacity that I wanted to get into real estate. COVID really gave me permission to kind of buckle down study, uh, you know, read books, listen to podcasts, watch all the YouTube videos. We had a lot of time during COVID, right? Um, I was playing poker professionally, like you mentioned, and uh, all the casinos shut down, you know, so I had no stream of income. Um, And uh, yeah, I had a lot more time at that point in time. So I I figured I'd buckle down, start studying. And um, yeah, that's where the journey started. So what made you guys decide, right, leave? And was this, both of you were like, we're, we're in. What made you guys decide, hey, let's go from Las Vegas to Orlando? Yeah, so Las Vegas, we were only there because I was playing poker professionally. So it no longer made it, made sense to be there if I wasn't going to be playing poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we looked at the landscape across the country, you know, why don't we move to an area where short-term rentals are... Uh, regulated but legal, right? Um, where the tourism is, you know, pretty high and people are excited to travel to that area. Um, at the time when we were doing our due diligence and research, uh, Orlando and Tampa were at the top of the list in terms of investing in, in real estate. No matter what article I read, Orlando, Tampa, Orlando, Tampa. And then, um, yeah, whenever I kind of reverse engineered it and looked at a bunch of travelers, there were 75 million tourists that traveled to Orlando specifically to visit Disney World. And uh, we wanted to be close to water, relatively close to water. We wanted to be an area where, uh, you know, there was warm weather and affordability in terms of buying real estate. So Orlando just checked off all of the the list. And then, yeah, we made our way uh, over here. Mm -hmm. 
Tell me about, so once, and again, you've built, it's it's incredible what you did in two years. Like, how did you kind of acquire 42 in two years? Kind of give us the brief, like, did you start with one and then we're like, okay, this works or, because because I know, and especially those, I have people that listen to my podcast who aren't realtors, right? Most of my audience is realtors. The others is like people that want to invest. And so I know this, this episode is going to be very helpful for them. So how did you guys decide like what you, you know, what you bought, you know, do you, you know, cause I know you can buy right up. $800,000 home or a $500,000 home. Obviously a $500,000 home isn't going to, and, and it's interesting because right on your Facebook a couple weeks ago, you shared, Hey, here's the success stories. And I was looking at the numbers and I'm like, Holy cow. And that's when I commented and we had been in touch previously, but I'm like, Oh my gosh, I really need to talk to him. Um, But how did you guys kind of decide what was the first step? Yeah. First step was we were listening to bigger pockets a bunch and just, mm-hmm you know, really educating ourselves. So I think before you dive in, you want to at least understand the foundation, some of the fundamentals to have the confidence to actually pull the trigger, right? So we just, we were a student of the game for, you know, six months to a year before we even decided to, to you know, purchase anything. But yeah, um, we purchased the first one. Uh, it, it went really well, um, better than what we thought it would would do and produce, right? Okay. And, um, you know, that gave us kind of some confidence, some proof of concept, Again, you know, not enough to where we're like, hey, let's build an entire business around it. But hey, this is a good start, right? And uh, you know, we we re- replicated the second one, did exactly the same thing as as the first one. It was wildly successful, and we were like, hey, maybe we're onto something, right? Yeah. And then that's when the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth one, uh, we actually partnered up with other individuals, right? So. W-2 earners that didn't have enough time, but they were loanable. Um, Mm -hmm. They had some extra cash laying around and uh, they actually secured the mortgage in their name. We brought the deal and then um, we managed and operated the property completely and we split everything 50-50. So deal number three through six, we raised through Capital Partners. And then, um, yeah, through seven through 42 uh, was a mix of let's see, purchases. And we started a property management company about six months ago. So we manage 16 doors, the other 26 we own. Okay. That's kind of the breakup. Yeah. Now in your, so in your portfolio, these are all short-term rentals. So it's no like LTRs or anything like that, right? Yeah. We have two midterm rentals. Okay. The rest. Yeah. So the other 30 or 40 of them are all short-term rentals. Okay. What would, and I just love this because I'm so, for one, I'm personally so interested in this or someone like, what was it like when, and again, was it just, Hey, we studied and then trusted the process with the first one? Because a lot of people, I feel like it's kind of even like, you know, for the people that listen to the show, becoming a realtor or going into real estate full time, it's almost like that first like leap is kind of like, you just got to go into the deep end, but it's like the scariest one. So and, and I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to leverage my cash. I don't want to leverage my, you know, maybe people are using a HELOC. But is it just like you just got to be willing to take a take a risk at first? Is that kind of like how it works? Yeah, I mean, investing, you know, in general is is risky. There's there's, uh, you know, things to consider. There's variables that can change. But at the end of the day, was I going to continue to stay on the sideline? I felt like that was more risky if I just said, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Well, here's a perfect opportunity. I see other people having success. Why can't I also do the same? You know, and and we just started putting some of the things in action. 
And we failed forward. We made a lot of mistakes, even today, right? Two years, two and a half years into the game, we're still making plenty of mistakes, but we're learning those lessons. We're getting better each day. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm proud that we were able to kind of lean forward and just say, hey, mm-hmm. let's take the plunge. And what's the worst case that can happen? Um, you know, especially with like inflation rising crazy right now, mm-hmm. uh, it, it is almost a little bit more risky to keep your cash just sitting in a savings account, you know? Yeah, well, and it's it's so funny that you say that me and my wife, you know, we, and I think I discussed this with you, like, right, we did the Dave Ramsey thing, paid off our house, then sold that house and had all this, you know, you know, 200, whatever thousand dollars. And we're like, well, we could put this towards the next. But it, but it's just so funny because like it was almost riskier sitting it in the bank. Right. Because like because of inflation. And so that's kind of why it's like, well, guess what? Everything is risky. You just kind of like for us as people of faith, like you just got to trust God, pray and kind of just make a decision. So you just kind of brought up inflation and the rates and all that. How has that over the past, you know, and what rates, I guess, the last six, seven months, how has that kind of changed if you're still buying properties and how you're buying them and things like that? I mean, I know the margins get a little tight, tighter. So how do you kind of make a decision on a property from there? Yeah, for sure. What One one last point with, with inflation, right? Yeah. Uh, it's one thing to have like, you know, 9% inflation or 8% inflation, wh- whatever it is right now. But but that's not the end of the story, right? It's it's also the return on your investment when it is invested, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say if you're getting 15% on your money and inflation is 8%, that's a 23% difference, right? You can start losing money quickly. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of framework that I started thinking about. And I was like, well, I have all this, this cash that's laying around. I have to invest this money, you know? So, but um, yeah, the rates, you know, they are what they are. They're seven and a half, eight percent depending on, you know, the time of when you guys are listening to this. But at the end of the day, there's still really good deals out there. You know, we're just having to have them pencil at the rates that we're getting, you know, and and it's that simple. You know, one thing that we've been doing recently is we've been repositioning our portfolio into the luxury space. Uh, Main reason is our number one performing uh, listing, right? It's a uh, luxury property in Aspen, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And um, it outperforms our second, third, fourth, and fifth property combined. The cool thing is the time allocation is exactly the same, right? It doesn't take our team any extra time to manage this property versus the other property, right? So we're starting to be very cognizant around time allocation and where we're spending our time. And, um, you know, if, I mean, think about it from a, a conceptual standpoint, right? Let's say one property does $300,000 of gross revenue. The other one does $50,000 of gross revenue. They still have a management, a, a team that we have to manage from the cleaning standpoint. They mm-hmm. still have pest control. They still have an AC that can break. It really is almost the same level of effort, but we add an extra zero at the end of the day. So um, yeah, the rates aren't you know something that we're worried about. We're just uh, having to pencil it in. Yeah. Tell me like, okay, so I'm a person that followed Dave Ramsey and I'm kind of going more towards, but for people that are like, no, all Dave Ramsey got to pay cash, got to do this. What would, and maybe you hate that name. I don't know. What would you say to people that maybe because of that are a little more risk averse? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think that Dave Ramsey has, uh, you know, a a lot of validity, um, Mm -hmm. you know, true value. He's a very smart, intelligent guy. There's, there's no argument there, whether you agree with his, his methodology or ideas around how you should uh, save your money or spend your money. 
But um, I think that there's uh, some people that Dave Ramsey really can speak to and yep. help them out, right? If, if your spending is all over the place and you need some structure and implementation, I think Dave Ramsey is a, a good candidate to, to kind of take that to uh, consideration. But if you really want to build wealth, you know, you're not going to be able to save your way to wealth. It's just, it's just not, you know, it's, it's not the case. So, um, you know, there's one thing that is bad debt and there's good debt, right? So yeah. if I take on, you know, 7% interest, right, I'm taking on this debt, how can I leverage it to, to make more money, right? And, and that's the simple concept. So any advice that I would give to them, you know, I wouldn't say that you have to fit in a box and you have to follow everything that Dave Ramsey has. Maybe you take some of the fundamentals and then you mix it with a, a little bit of risk. That way you have, uh, you know, a mix of both. And um, you can still build generational wealth and still be risk adverse at the same time. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah, you can build generational wealth and still be risk averse. And it's so interesting, you know, even and you did a great job. And thank you. You know, you connect me with your wife and then connected me with a realtor down there. Right. Like I've kind of talked about being risk averse. And it's like, OK, what's the risk? Right. Let's say let's say it's a five hundred thousand dollar property and you've put 20 percent down. Right. So you, you have one hundred thousand in equity. So like. The market's not crashing, right? We know that home prices are still going up a year from today. Home prices not, might not be up 15% or 10% like they were, but they will be up. And so if it's not cash flowing, right, you say, okay, I'll sell. And that that for the audience is like, hey, it, it you know, maybe a property doesn't work. Um, tell us about a little bit of that, because I'd love to hear some lessons you learned. For, you said you learned so many lessons the first few properties. Like, what are those lessons that like, an investor needs to know like, hey, what are the, you know, and you kind of talked about the team, what's the team they need to have around them? And kind of like, what are some of those lessons you learned very early on? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of hit it on the head, right? Like you put down 20% on a $500,000 asset, the money doesn't evaporate, mm -hmm. it doesn't go anywhere. It moves from your savings account or your 401k or, or your HELOC to equity in the home, right? Mm -hmm. It's just repositioned, right? So I, I think people get a little hung up on where it's allocated. You still have value. It's still good. You're, you know, you're, you're still safe. And I find a lot of um, security in knowing that I have a lot of equity throughout all my properties, right? Mm -hmm. That is my risk adverse approach to investing in real estate. If things hit the fan, I have, you know, uh, a little over a million dollars of equity in all of our properties. So I have a nest egg just like someone does have in their 401k, right? So, you know, I, I think it's just about reframing the mindset and that that fear of the unknown. Yeah. And then, so tell us about the team, right? I know, I mean, I kind of know, but for anyone who has not even thought about investing, you know, you have a property in Colorado, you don't live there. So like, tell us about who manages it, you know, property management, cleaner, et cetera. Like, are you guys doing that? Do you have somebody there managing it? Are you kind of hands off or like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we built our management company uh, to become a business, right? We, we, we want to be self-employed. And I think there's a distinction between being self-employed and owning a business, right? My wife, um, Julie, um, our business partner, Aiden, the three of us could go on a vacation to Asia for two weeks and our business will still run, right? Um, so our team, we have four virtual assistants all in South America. We have one ops manager here stateside, and then um, that's it. It's the three founders and then uh, a small team of five. They can really manage up to about 100 listings before we needed to hire another person. 
So wow. we're keeping the team really lean. Um, instead of trying to find low budget VAs, our VAs are, are paid really well, mm-hmm. but they are incredible, right? They they can probably outperform, you know, three or four uh, average, you know, performing VAs. So, um, you know, I, I think just hiring talent, paying them, paying them accordingly, and really just building a small team is the way that we've been uh, been able to have success. Well, and it sounds like too, right? You know, as you kind of think, as people are listening to this, thinking about investing, right? You could get the cheapest VA, but it's almost like you get what you pay for. You're paying a little more for higher quality VAs. And so you're going to get higher quality work. And you probably don't even have to think about, oh, what if they quit tomorrow? Because you know, you're paying them better than other companies are paying them. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can go out and find a $4, you know, an hour VA, right? Mm-hmm. But they might only 1x the ROI, right? Yeah. I can go pay, you know, somebody $12 an hour and they might force four to five X, you know, the value of what I'm paying them, right? So again, I don't need to micromanage these VAs. Oftentimes they know more about, you know, the guest communications and ordering inventory and, you know, guest complaints or, uh, you know, any issues that we have, they know more about it than we do because they're really in the nitty gritty and we give them a lot of freedom and um, creativity and innovation. And we encourage that in our company. So uh, I think they really appreciate it and they just continue to blossom. And I mean, honestly, it's like week over week, they're getting better. It's not like months on end or a couple of years. It's literally week by week. We're like, wow, our team is just really impressive. So they handle the guest communication. They order inventory. They schedule the cleaners and the handymen. Um, they file claims. They really just do all of the operations A to Z. And then we have an ops manager that just kind of holds them accountable and, and, and focuses on um, you know continuing to crush the KPIs and the metrics that we're kind of focused on, you know, driving revenue and and, and cutting down expenses. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. Tell us. <laughs> and and I know that people that talk to me about investments say this all the time. They're like, well, I'm worried that someone's going to, you know, someone's going to go trash the Airbnb and party there and this and that. And like the cleaner shows up and like they've destroyed the place. How do you kind of make sure? Is it through, you know, making sure you're only renting to people that have been verified or done previous rentals or or do you is that just a risk you take on and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to fear the unknown? Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty simple, right? Like at, at some point in time, you had no reviews, right? And you're probably a really great guest, you know? So we just give everyone a, the benefit of the doubt. We sure. can have people that have a great track record and they come in and throw a party, right? And, and vice versa. So yeah, I think that, um, you know, we just handle the situations as they come. There's going to be some bad guests and there's going to be some uh, amazing guests and, and everything in between. But for the most part, there's, I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to, you know, break one of the legs on the sofas. We'll, we'll just get it fixed. It's it's really not that big of a deal, you know? So I, I wouldn't be too worried about it. In the two and a half years that we've been in business, there's nothing that I could say that, oh man, I would never, I would never host this guest again. Hmm. I probably won't host some guests, but it's not so detrimental where I would I would be so worried about it, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think, too, it's almost like, you know, good news doesn't travel as fast as bad news, right? You have a bad experience. You're going to tell everyone about it. Like, you know, me and my wife actually met with someone here about investing in Pennsylvania, and we're sharing all these stories. And she's like, 
You're only sharing the bad stories. Like if rentals were so bad, if Airbnbs were so bad, short-term, long-term, mid-term, if all of this was so bad, people wouldn't do it. So stop like listening to, it's kind of like, don't watch the news, right? You watch the news, all they tell you is the bad stuff. They're not going to tell you any of the good stuff. Perfect analogy. Yep. You hit it on the head. Absolutely right. So it's it's nowhere near as bad as uh, I think, yeah. you know, social media makes it out to be. Yeah. Interesting. Tell us about how are you handling, and I know you you kind of dealt with this a little bit, I'm sure. How do you handle when like you own properties in a county and they suddenly change the regulations? Um, I know here, so I'm I'm in Lancaster, PA, and they recently changed regulations right as we were about to buy an Airbnb here, actually, that if it did not have the permit and an off-street parking spot, you could not have a short-term rental. And so it kind of killed the market a little bit. Is that something you guys worry about? And how do you kind of make sure going into a property, hey, we have like kind of checked all our bases to make to to know like, hey, they're not going to change the regulations on us next week. Yeah. So two things, you know, you can um, create your performa based on the property still cash flowing as a long-term rental or a mm-hmm. midterm rental, right? So you have extra layers just in case these regulations change for whatever reason, right? Or you can go the extra step and, you know, only invest in markets that are very mature and that have been around for, you know, 50 years like Disney World, right? So even before Airbnb, right, came around, there were vacation rental, it was a vacation rental market, you know, this was going on for the last 50 plus years. So um, they even have what's called a lodging tax, Mm -hmm. a lodging tax, Every single time a guest stays, you know, the city of Kissimmee or Davenport is making more money, right? The economy is, you know, almost predicated on the success of tourism. So I feel a lot of confidence that, you know, they're not going to get rid of that lodging tax. So you can go into some of these more mature markets that have been around for a long time. You know, the Smoky Mountains, for instance, right? Can you imagine them, you know, making it, uh, you know, the regulations to where, People can't stay in vacation rentals. It, it just doesn't make sense. Joshua Tree is another one, right? So we try to enter markets that are are already regulated and already have regulations built in and, and kind of the guidebook. That way we don't foresee the changes happening anytime soon. Yeah, that's a great point. I have a buddy here who uh, owns a rental property in the Poconos. And I've been like, well, what if they kick you out? And he's like, John, uh, it's, it's in like a condo association. And he's like, John, every time we rent out the house, they get a hundred dollars. So like we add that onto our fee, but why would they kick us out if they're making an extra couple thousand dollars a month? So that's a great point to maybe go into a more mature market. So well, I appreciate your time as we kind of get near the end, tell us more, right? About specifically, you know, I know you have the Orlando meetup and the podcast, and we can kind of get information about that at the end, but tell us about uh, the new coaching where you're helping investors go from zero to one. Yeah, I mean, I don't even want to frame it as a coaching program, right? Because okay. sometimes that 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 comes with like a negative connotation, you know, or like, mm-hmm. hey, what is this person, you know, this guru doing? We don't claim to be gurus or coaches or even experts, right? We're, we're just sharing our journey and our experiences and all of the mistakes that we made. We're trying to bundle it up and say, hey, don't do this. We've already made those mistakes for you. So just avoid it. And, you know, some of the mistakes that we've made have have costed us, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, right? Or a lot of hours of just, you know, kind of going through the hamster wheel of of things that we shouldn't be focused on, right? So we're trying to to kind of give people a Kickstarter and get to their journey of success in the STR community or, or, or world as fast as possible. 
So our program um, is pretty cool. You, you can buy directly in if that's what you choose. But what we want to do, um, I don't know if people are familiar with acquisitions.com, Alex Hermosi. Are you familiar with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So acquisitions.com is really cool because, you know, they give away all of their education for free. They're teaching people how to grow their company and get to $3 million with the hopes that whenever they do get the $3 million, they're going to partner with them and take them to $30 million, right? So we're kind of taking that conceptual idea where you apply for this program and we're going to select maybe the top five or 10%. And when you're in the program, we're giving the education to you completely for free. We're sharing every single thing to you at your disposal. We're giving our contracts away, our management agreements, helping with pricing optimization, how to underwrite market analysis, how to hire VAs, um, how to create your listings, where to buy furniture from, how much you should be spending on furniture, anything and everything, right? And then from there, we're teaching them how to go out and get management clients, right? They're going to eventually co-host and manage for other people. And then from there, when they get into a contract with a management client, we're going to share the revenue and profit with that student. And it's that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's so cool. And it's it's I love talking to people who give back. Right. You could just be like, oh, I just want to own 300 properties and make a million dollars or whatever it is. Instead, kind of thinking of like, oh, hey, well, how can I shift this a little bit and give back and help people through the knowledge that we've kind of acquired, sometimes through hard lessons, sometimes through like sweat equity, uh, but some of those things and kind of giving back as well. Yeah, I mean, and it's cool, too, because like, right, as as we're sharing this, these lessons, you don't have to come in and pay for it and hope that we teach you well or teach you these lessons, right? We don't make any money until you start making money, right? So if you come in for three months, yeah. You learn all of these things and you know what? It's not working for you. You know what? You didn't spend any 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 money at all. It was just your time and um, that was it. There's no commitment up front from a financial standpoint. But if you do find the information valuable and you are doing really well and you are starting to grow your short-term rental, we want to become a partner with you and, and kind of take off together. So want to build more of a community and do things together instead of it being transactional with like, hey, I'm your coach. You're my student. Do what I say. I want more of a par- partnership. And, um, you know, we want more of a community. Well, and when you do that, it benefits both, right? Sometimes investors don't have a ton of money on the front end. So they're like, well, I can't pay you for coaching, blah, you know, this and that. Well, hey, let's get you coached up. Let's get you into the system. Let's get you buying a property. And then we kind of, everybody's happy on the back end. Everybody makes money. You guys make money. They make money when they finally invest and, and get their property going. It's almost like a brokerage, right? You know, you have support and resources. You you hang your license there, but the broker and 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 you know that community is there to kind of help coach you, teach you, hold you accountable, be there as a resource, you know. And then the broker the broker obviously takes a percentage of the revenue. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I I was uh I used to model uh, clothing, right? I I modeled for Nike and Under Armour and Reebok. I did a lot of Reebok, uh, a lot of uh, athletic stuff. And same thing, my modeling agencies would take a percentage of the bookings, right? Because they would go out and build these relationships with Nike and, and, and Gucci mm-hmm. and all of these, these brands that the models would model for. And, you know, deservingly, they should share, you know, the revenue because of this partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time. I ask this question as we close out every interview. I'd love you for you to take us to a time 
maybe where you struggled, maybe it was getting into the investing side. Maybe it was, you know, the COVID shutdown and how you couldn't play poker. Take us to a time period in your life and what would be a piece of advice you wish you could tell that version of yourself? Yeah, yeah. So our first business, um, I, I don't want to get too far into to what it was, but it was, uh, you know, if, if you want to look at it, it was a failed business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we were kind of down, as you would imagine, it was it was kind of a, you know, a difficult moment in our life. But I would tell myself to um, be a little bit aware, uh, or a lot, a lot more aware of in, in finding ways that you can learn from this lesson, right? I think I'd kind of shut it off. And you know what, another thing that I would tell myself is, you know, try to think about ways that you can still add value with this business. And instead of just succumbing to it being complete a complete failure. I didn't really fight for that business. You know, when it didn't work out, we just kind of gave up and we said, hey, we have to start something else instead of kind of repurposing the idea or reframing around, you know, where we could have success in that business. So I would say, you know, look at it through different lenses and perspective, try to find value and then learn the lessons that are there, right? Because nothing is ever a failure. There's always lessons and it's going to be pivotal in your next endeavor, next you know business. And really it has, we've learned so much from that first failure that um, it's kind of catapulted, you know, a lot of our success. And, and I do owe a lot of what we learned from that first business in our success today. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, tell us a piece of advice for realtors or even, let's say, for first-time investors who, are, again, kind of are like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. What would be a piece of advice for them? Yeah, so so for realtors, um, and I know a lot of realtors just being in the space, right? Mm-hmm. Men and women, you guys are so incredible. You work so hard. You have a, a strong work ethic, and you have a strong understanding, especially in your market more realtors need to purchase real estate. (laughs) That literally blows my mind. When I talk to to realtors that that have a lot of investors that they're making very wealthy, and they've been in the game for 12 years and don't own a single piece of real estate, build your own generational wealth as well, right? You know, it's one thing to, you know, have a career and you're making income and, you know, you can build a, a successful life being a realtor, but what about when you retire? You know, mm-hmm. like those are just transactions. Start building wealth and have money kind of start working for you. Oh, that's so good because you're right. I know <laughs> I still know realtors uh, and I don't I don't know their financial situation, so I don't want to insult them. But I know realtors in the area and like they've been in the business six, seven, eight years and they're still renting. And I'm like, what are you doing? Right now, again, maybe they had a very tough situation, right? Financial situation. But for the most part, you know, in many areas, you can own for as much or even less a month than the rents are these days. So, like, what are you doing still renting seven years later? Um, I actually had listed a property and one of the tenants was a realtor. And I'm like, why are you renting here, paying all this? So it's just very funny. And again, if you get into investing or buying your own property, then you become the expert. Like I can say to a client, oh, well, this is what happened when I purchased my home. If I've never purchased a home, I'm like, oh yeah, well, I don't really know because I don't own a home. Like you don't, you look like an idiot. Yeah. That's really good stuff, man. Dude, thank you so much for your time. Um, Really appreciate it. Lots, lots of good info here for uh, people as they think about investing. 
Um, tell us where people can connect with you, whether it's the meetup, the uh, short-term rental podcast, and also, you know, the program you're guiding people through as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, you can find us, uh, Blue Gems Facebook group. Uh, we have uh, JB Invested. I'm on uh, Instagram. That's probably where you'll find me the most. And then, uh, yeah, Blue Gems podcast as well. And uh, if you just type in Blue Gems Investing or Blue Gems Real Estate, you can find a lot about us. So, but yeah, happy to connect. Thank you so much for having me, man. It was a blast. Uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's an honor to have you. Congratulations for what all of you, you know, your team is doing. Uh, wish you continued success. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely, uh, when when I'm in Florida next, we'll have to connect in person because I, I like to go off. And so appreciate you, man. Absolutely. And uh, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, brother. Cheers. Have an man. awesome day. You too. What's up, guys? Hope you guys enjoyed my interview with JB. And a huge thank you to JB for being an amazing guest today on the podcast. I absolutely loved this episode because I just love thinking about investing and love learning about short-term rentals because we're definitely right there as we think about it. So it was cool for JB to come on and share his wisdom with us. And I just love his story, how he helps people go from zero to one door and just kind of love what he's learned along the journey. A few of my takeaways, I think my biggest one is actually pretty simple, to be honest. I think my biggest takeaways or one of my biggest takeaways from the whole episode was what he shared at the beginning. You know, it was very interesting because he talked about, right, COVID happening and how he couldn't play professional poker anymore. And he talked about how it gave him the freedom to think about real estate. Um, and he even shared on the episode that he watched YouTube videos, uh, read books, studied, and became a student of the game for six to 12 months before deciding to get into the game and deciding to purchase their first property. And it's, again, so simple, but I think the lesson here for all of us as we think about investing or even maybe real estate in general is, are we students of the game, right? When I got into real estate, you know, unfortunately, I kind of did it pretty pretty quick, kind of jumped in, was kind of in crisis mode. We were broke trying to make money. So I didn't get that six to 12 months to, uh, you know, study the game and become a student of the game. But even now, as I talk to realtors about, you know, joining my team or joining my brokerage, um, I, I tell them that the best thing they really can do right now is study, listen to podcasts about real estate, etc., and learn what it takes to become a good realtor, investor, etc. And so I love how he talked about that journey. You know, I also love how he shared about how, you know, with their first property, they jumped in slowly, but it gave them proof of concept. And then they did right the next three to six through capital funding. And I love the empire they've built now. But it's, you know, I think so many of us see the success in people like this, that they forget that it can start with something small like they did. They started with one property. And so I just think it's interesting. You can jump into this without having to right leverage your house or risk a lot. You can just jump in slowly. Loved as well, just kind of as we were talking about financial, the financial piece and Dave Ramsey and, you know, inflation. You know, I thought it was very interesting how he said, right, inflation is scary, but it's just as scary to sit on the sidelines with money sitting in the bank, you know, with inflation, as it is to jump into something. Um, and he, even as he talked about Dave Ramsey, you know, I thought it was a very interesting perspective. So many people 
are like, oh, Dave Ramsey's a jerk. Dave Ramsey doesn't know anything. But I loved what he said, where he kind of said, you know, he believes that you can't build generational wealth without real estate. But he says, right, can you follow some of the principles of Dave Ramsey, but take some risk as well? And he even said, right, that he is risk averse. And one of the ways that he stays away from risk is by having over $1 million of equity in his properties. Many people might not be as risk averse. Many people might max, right, get HELOCs on all of those, max them out. But uh, I love that he even, right, doesn't want to leverage all of that. And it means if things go south, he's got, you know, lots of equity in the properties to, you know, rent them out, sell them or whatever. A lot of this, I think, like he said, comes back to reframing our mind, right? As we think about either being an investor, being a realtor, whatever it is, even as we think about, you know, growing a team, you know, I love his point about how, you know, he could get a VA in another country that might be $4 an hour, or he could get one for $12 an hour, right? The $4 an hour one might have a one times ROI, while the $12 an hour one might bring you a four to five times return. And it just, you know, again, when you take care of people, they're not going to want to leave. When you take care of people, kind of like he said, uh, it allows them to love what they do. And like he said, it gave them permission, the VA's permission to be creative, be innovative. And of course, they appreciated that. And it helps to retain employees. As we kind of closed out our interview, which I absolutely loved, I loved his two takeaways as we talked about right? The market changing, regulations changing, etc. And so the two points that he made when I said, like, what do you do if regulations change? He says, well, ways to avoid that is to only invest in mature markets, right? He talked about the Smoky Mountains. He talked about Disney. And as well, when they look at a property for maybe a short-term rental like an Airbnb, they also look at the numbers and say, okay, if short-term rentals are not allowed or they're restricted, does this also work as a long-term rental or mid-term rental? And when they look at a property, right, if it does, then they're willing to go forward with it because even if Airbnb or the city or county, whatever, does change the policies, they can still make money on the property. So lots of good stuff in this episode. JB, thank you so much for being an awesome guest and thank you guys for listening. Make sure you check him out. I'll put some stuff in the show notes for you guys to take a look at and make sure you check out his podcast as well. It's one of my favorites. And so it's the Blue Gems podcast. So very thankful for JB coming on the show and thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you guys again very soon. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Survival Guide. If you enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. It helps others discover the show. Thank you so much, and we will see you on the next episode.